weaving a dense tapestry with marching lines of purple foxgloves. Earlier in the year there would have been clumps of thrift, a wild rock garden defining all the bees. Later, meadowsweet will fill the hedges and ditches. But now there will be pink roses and yellow irises. There will be nut-brown boats drawn up on the pale sand and dress-suited oyster catchers patrolling among the seaweed. As the ferry comes to shore, she notices that the sea around Garb is still that shade of turquoise which she has seen nowhere else. The light is different here. The colours are brighter and more luminous. None of that has changed. It is the same as it always was. The hotel is only a short walk from the ferry. They have sent a car to meet her and to fetch her bags. She lets the Australian chauffeur, who he tells her is also the barman, load her suitcases into the boot but then asks him to go on. She will walk the short distance so that she can adjust to the island, breathe in clean air, be silent. She misses Ben, bouncing beside her, tugging at her jacket, talking. She trusts his father and stepmother to look after him. Well, she trusts his father, but still her imagination conjures horrors. She tries to put them from her mind, think about the pleasure of a week's freedom. But Ben's absence is a constant, low-key worry. Oddly, the hotel looks bigger than her memory of it. A grey stone building facing the sea, with something of the castle keep about it, though not as tall. When they used to come to the island on holiday, when Alice was seven and eight, and one last time when she was ten, it wasn't a hotel at all. It was called the Old Laird's House, but one of the new Lairds lived there. He was a brown sauce manufacturer from Warrington in search of peace and quiet. He was not a bad landlord, the islanders said. He did his best. You could walk in the grounds, but you had to ask permission in those days. As a child, she had found gardens boring, preferring the haphazard fascination of the wilderness. She still prefers it. Though recently, she has also begun to understand her mother's interest in growing things, particularly flowers. The sauce manufacturer is long gone, and there have been a number of more or less satisfactory successors, but now the island is community-owned and the house has been a hotel for some time. This is her first visit in 25 years. They had always come back to the same rented cottage down by the seashore, her parents, her brother, herself. But now her parents are dead, and her brother Robert is living halfway across the world. She booked the holiday on impulse a few weeks ago because eight-year-old Ben would be spending a fortnight in Italy with his father and stepmother and she couldn't bear the thought of the empty flat and in Edinburgh crammed with tourists. Then she found herself wondering if she'd done the right thing. How would she occupy her time on a small Hebridean island, a grown woman with a wardrobe full of unsuitable shoes? So she made a special shopping trip for flat lace-ups, tough sandals, a waterproof jacket... Her friend Sophie came too and laughed at Alice, who had never before set foot in any of those alarming shops dedicated to the great outdoors. Oh, God, she said. Look at you, Alice. Sophie is tall and skinny and goes hill-walking or even cycling from time to time. Just look at you. I never thought I'd see you here among the gas burners and the hand warmers. The hotel smells of polish and potpourri. Her bedroom is high up, looking out towards School Bay. She unpacks, 
finds the bed to be firm and the linen to be crisp, showers in a gleaming bathroom and then descends in search of gin. The residence lounge is a source of yet more potpourri and polish, but the windows are open. The sea is pale as turquoise, and there is the little lozenge of the ferry, zigzagging back across a rock-strewn sound. The air outside smells of honeysuckle and roses and seaweed. In the bar, she drinks gin and tonic, eats salted peanuts, looks at the dinner menu, heavy on seafood, smiles at the barman, who carried her cases and drove them up from the ferry. Just having a wee break? he asks. He uses the word wee self-consciously. That's right. I used to come here on holiday when I was a kid. I always promised myself I'd come back someday. Good for you, he says absently. People keep telling him this, but he can't quite understand it. He has been here for a month and already he is bored. What do people do here, he wonders. How do they stand the rain? The bar is quiet. The other residents are either changing or still out and about on the island, golfing, sailing, fishing, walking. She can hear footsteps pattering across the wooden floor of another room. Somewhere a child is running about the hotel. Fleetingly, she wishes it were Ben. Excuse me, says the barman. Do you want another? She holds out her glass, smiling at him then turns again to look out of the window. Small clouds are strung out across the sky like sheep. The shadows fall on the water below. Suddenly, it feels like a homecoming. Presently, she takes a drink and finds the residence lounge again. It is still empty, so she moves about the room examining pictures. They are large oil paintings, grim death rather than still life. Birds, their feathers tumbled and bloody, hunks of meat overflowing platters of fruit and vegetables. There is the inevitable stag on a heathery hill. There is a grimly handsome highlander staring pensively into the distance. There are a few portraits of bald-headed, pot-bellied, self-satisfied old men, so dark as to be almost indistinguishable from each other. And then she comes upon a display case of mahogany and glass. There are objects neatly arranged on three shelves but the casket is central. The casket has raised, heavily embroidered panels on a wooden base and little gilded feet. The scenes are biblical. A woman stands breast high amid the growing corn. She is Ruth. Whither thou goest, I will go. Thy people shall be my people, thinks Alice, surprised by her own knowledge, remembering the words from some long-ago reading, a school service perhaps. She hasn't been to church in years. There are birds and flowers too. Long-necked swans and plump seagulls, honeysuckle, wild roses with their centres formed of tiny seed pearls, drooping foxgloves. The embroidery has faded over time, but only a little. The two front doors are open to reveal five drawers, two wide and three narrow, also embroidered with flowers and birds and beasts. There is a tall house in grey silk with fragments of mica for windows. She can still hear the child pattering about, giggling. Other objects, presumably the contents of the cabinet, are spread out on the shelves above and below it. Here is a miniature shuttle, prettily inlaid with gold, 
and with a few discoloured threads still attached. Here is a needle lace collar, very fine and floral. Here is a tiny pin cushion, a painted silk fan and a coral teether. On another shelf is a hand mirror, intricately decorated with semi-precious stones in the shape of flowers, forget-me-nuts and pansies. Alongside these precious keepsakes, she is puzzled to see a little collection of pebbles and shells and swans down. Finally, there is a scrap of yellowed paper with a few words of incomprehensible writing. A letter? A poem? Alice is enchanted by these things and suddenly possessed by the need to know more about them. She wants to talk to somebody about the cabinet and its contents, but there is nobody in the room. I should have brought someone with me, she thinks. I should have got Sophie to come. She is distressed to find that she has a lump in her throat. The absence of her son is a dull ache inside her. The barman passes the door with a couple of big bottles of wine and a bag of ice. Are you looking at our curiosity cabinet? He says, grinning. Curiosity cabinet? Well, that's what they call it here. It must be very old. Seventeen hundred, something like that, he says vaguely. Might be older. Sixteen something, he shrugs. I wouldn't know. Where are they from, all these things? Not sure. You'd have to ask Mr Cameron, the manager. I think somebody lent them to the hotel. Must be worth a fortune. After dinner, she goes out and walks down to the sea. Grey clouds veil the mainland. There has been a shower of rain, and all the fuchsia hedges are festooned with spiders' webs and hung with droplets of water. Alice finds herself glancing back at the spine of the island.